Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Yeah, could I have a number three with cheese and uh, a large coffee? Man, does this smell good. Wolfing down your lunch. <laughs> Serving up today's top sports stories with Wolf and Luke. Hey, boy. Presented by Stadium Swim at Circa Resort and Casino, Las Vegas' ultimate sports fan destination. All right, by my count now, Wolf, nine of the 16 NFC teams have made a trade in the last few days. Nine? Yeah. Okay. Nine. And most of them that haven't are in the NFC West, except San Francisco, by the way. I don't love that San Francisco trade, Sarah just said, that Jeff Wilson. If you look at their backup running backs now behind Christian McCaffrey, who I like but is often hurt, it's Jordan Mason and Tyron Davis-Price for a team that likes to run. All right, all of today's top sports stories in one place. It's Wolfing Down Your Lunch. Rick is here with those stories today. Rick? All right, guys. So as you just mentioned, the NFL trade deadline is just about an hour away. And the Arizona Cardinals have been quiet so far, making no moves. Are you guys surprised by that? Uh, I was more surprised by the lack of moves in camp and and the offseason on the defensive side of things than I am today because you're in this weird spot where I don't think you should be sellers, but you can't go crazy and be buyers because you are three and five too. Yeah, once again, for me, um, I certainly would not be surprised (laughs) if the Arizona Cardinals did something, yet I don't think they're going to do anything. So... You know what? Maybe I would be surprised in a weird kind of way. That hurt because my head. I, <laughs> but it, but it, yeah, at the same time, it kind of made sense. Because, it does. Because you are in win-now mode. And if you are really in win-now mode, I don't know that the current group as assembled is going to win what you want to win, especially because 60% yeah. of your starting offensive line is hurt. It would have been really, really cool if somehow, some way, they could have pulled off a Bradley Chubb trade. Would have been all in on that. Yeah, the problem is, once again, though, you're going to have to pay him. Huge money. I won't huge have to. Huge contract. The team will have to pay. Yes. <laughs> they did it once before with Chandler Jones. So I thought, hmm, we might see that again. And speaking of Bradley Chubb, uh, he was traded to the Dolphins. The 49ers are trading for Jeff, Jeff Wilson from, or the 49ers are trading Jeff Wilson to the Dolphins as well. Uh, we, we saw Chase Claypool go to the Bears. Which of these trades has really stood out to you guys so far? You know, just hearing you say them all, there's it, it didn't used to be like this in the NFL at the trade deadline. And by didn't used to, I mean like three years ago. It didn't used to be like this, Wolf. Those are some big names getting moved around. Chase Claypool, Roquan Smith, yeah. Bradley Chubb, all these guys getting moved at the deadline. I don't even really know what... What pushed football to this point where the trade deadline actually means something? Because honestly, a couple years ago, it didn't mean anything. Yeah, you know, it's really cool because um, it used to be a situation where so many people thought, if I trade and bring somebody new into our football program, he's going to have to learn our offense. He's going to have to learn our defense. He's going to have to learn his teammates. He's going to have to learn coaches. It seemed like this was the one game. This is the philosophy back when I was playing. It's, this is the one game. You just can't bring a guy in, expect him to get up to speed in a week. It's going to take him at least a month, and some guys longer than a month, to learn our system. See, that was always the thinking. The game of football has become very universal for the most part, and the football universe has changed. 
and a lot of the same terminology is used from team to team. And I think that might have an awful lot to do with it. A player is simulating, and then suddenly being with the team for four days or a week is able to go out and actually contribute. That makes a lot of sense. To answer Rick's question, I would say also Bradley Chubb. That's the trade that stands out because you can see the ripple effect now that Miami went out and got Jeff Wilson from San Francisco because of that trade. And the only other thing I'd say about that quickly is Bradley Chubb is an edge player. (laughs) You don't have to be doing a ton of thinking as an edge guy. Just got to get after the quarterback. And the Phoenix Suns are back at the Footprint Center tonight to face the Timberwolves. You can catch that one right here on Arizona Sports with coverage beginning at 6.30. This brings us to our Sanderson Ford poll question up now at ArizonaSports.com. Who has been your favorite Phoenix Suns player off the bench so far this season? Damian Lee, Jock Landale, Landry Shamit, Tori Craig, or Bismack Biombo? Ooh, that's a good question today. That is a good one, man. Uh, I mean, I always lean Bismack just because, hey, Bismack, we need you to come in. DeAndre got hurt. I know you haven't been playing much. Okay, I'll give you like a double-double. Okay, we're going to need you to play on Sunday. I'll give you five blocks. And Wolf, as I said last week, he's the guy that you feel like he's like the nicest guy in the world, but also don't mess with him because he might look at you like, yeah. you realize how big I am, right? <laughs> but so I'll, I'll, it's either Bismack or, or Landale for me. I've got to go Jock Landale. All right, we'll vote for him. I, honestly, right now, just watching this guy go about his business, I, I am I am so stunned. James Jones. <laughs> way to go, baby. Monty Williams. James Jones, Monty Williams. Way to go. Um, to, to recognize this guy from the Spurs, to recognize his talent, and to be able to see it and say, you know what, I think this guy, there's a lot more here than meets the eye. And to go get him. And now all of a sudden, watching Jock Landell go about his business and the fact that I don't think he scratched the surface as to what he could be as a three-point shooter. You were talking about this earlier. I think you're right. I think he's only going to get better from the line. What will that do to change the dynamic of the second unit running out there? It will have a huge impact on his teammates, I believe. All right, I will vote with for Jock Landale. And Jock Landell has 72% of the vote, 11% for Bismack, 9% for Damian Lee, 5% for Torrey Craig, 3% for Landry Shamit. So already a fan favorite, Jock Landell. And sticking with basketball, the Nets have parted ways with Suns legend Steve Nash as their head coach. And according to Woj, current suspended Celtics head coach Ime Udoka is the front runner for the job. What do you guys make of Nash being fired and Udoka potentially being brought in? You know, I said this. Or parting ways, I guess, is the correct term. When they always say, okay, we relieved so-and-so of their duties, it it always feels like a nice way of saying, okay, we let this guy go. Um, I I honestly think Steve Nash probably is pretty relieved right now. He was in a no-win situation. Kevin Durant called for his job a few months ago. Then they played, like, what, seven games? and Called for his job. Trade me or Steve Nash needs to go. And, uh, okay, actually, all of a sudden, magically, everything's fine. 
And then after seven games, yeah. Steve Nash is gone. So uh, that's not a great situation to be in. Also, he has a very dysfunctional team. That's not Steve Nash's fault. Yeah. He was doomed from the very beginning, and I think nobody knew that better than Steve Nash. You, you've got somebody like Kevin Durant. Of, of all the guys in the league, Kevin Durant says he needs to be fired. And then all of a sudden, now you're going to be brought back. Everything's everything's fine. Steve Nash knew. There's nothing he could have done this he year. He knew ex- exactly right. He knew he was behind the eight ball from the very beginning right there. It's one of the reasons why I think he got into it where he had to be restrained. <laughs> Once again, doing something kind out of, of character. Out. Yes, out of character for Steve Nash. And... Um, that's too bad, man. I hate to see a guy with that kind of class, that kind of character, get put into that situation. It only reinforces all the more the reason why I don't want Kevin Durant to be a son. How about that conversation with Steve Nash? Okay, Steve, we're going to make you head coach, all right? And you're gonna, you get to have a super team. You get to have a big three. Oh, this is awesome. All right, I'm in. Okay, who do I get? Well, you get Kevin Durant. All right, this guy's pretty good. All right, uh, we're going to give you Kyrie. Oh, what? Uh, okay. Who? But, uh, um, does he... Okay. Listen, I know how good Kyrie is. I know how good he is, but when when every single thing is going his way, exactly yeah. right, and that's the problem. And then uh, and then who's the third one? Um, we're going to give you Ben Simmons. Mm. Okay, yeah, who's the third one? I need a third player that's going to play too. Well, Ben, Ben will get you four points and six how, rebounds how for is, a week. Uh, how's Ben doing these days? Is he, you know, um, he's hurt. Is he all right? He's not playing. Okay. Yeah. He take a perimeter shot. I mean, he's not a big fan of of um, taking shots in a basketball game, but he does he gets a decent number of assists, a couple blocks. Good defender. Yeah, um, yeah. Not really a big three. Sorry, Steve. Although I could absolutely see them if they at had least he squared away. That's the good thing about it. There's no mental blocks though. <laughs> no, totally. Everything's fine. Whoever comes in and takes over that team, guaranteed championship with that oh trio. Oh my goodness, right there. that's a mess. All right, that was wolfing down your lunch. Thank you, Rick. Uh, when we come back, Cardinals fans, this is a very angry fan base. Even after wins, it's an angry fan base. Is there anything this team can do to appease its fan base this season? We'll get into that next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke Middays, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Welcome back to the show. It is Wolf and Luke. We are live from the Ak Chin Community Studios. We are about 45-ish minutes away from the NFL trade deadline. There have been a lot of moves, but none of them so far have involved the Arizona Cardinals. They did go out and trade for Robbie Anderson, what was that, last week? Two weeks ago? Now, right after the Seahawks game. But yeah. as far as today, not any uh, moves yet. They still have time. And uh, we'll obviously keep you up to date on that right up to 1 o'clock. And we'll react to them either making moves or not making moves at 1 o'clock, Wolf. You know, it was interesting because we were just talking about um, making trades in the NFL and how there are more trades than there's ever been before. And or at least it feels that way. And that's the truth. If you go back and look at oh, it. Oh, yeah. Especially big back, names. Yeah. You go back and you look at it. It has increased almost every year. Um, more trades and bigger names, of course, at the trade deadline, like Bradley Chubb and what is happening here. When you say that, I, I think of Robbie Anderson. 
I think of the fact that he has kind of struggled to make an impact in the first two games that he's been here. Yeah. Um, that's exactly the way that it was. You always kind of worried about it. Is this guy going to be brought up to speed? Is he going to be able to understand our system? Because it's a completely different system. And we speak of it in different terms. And we use different terminology. It's like learning a new language. It, you just never know how a guy is going to assimilate your offense or your defense. And I think of Robbie Anderson and the problem he's had actually making an impact in games so far for the Cardinals when I think of that. Well, and some positions are are more difficult than others to step right in and make an impact and receivers up there near the top, right? I mean, you typically, I guess it depends on who the receiver is, but like you said earlier, you're going to bring in an edge rusher. Bradley Chubb is not a rental in Miami, you're, yeah. you're going to ideally you're going to sign him for a while, but you also expect him to make an impact like the first game because yes. he's an edge rusher. Bradley, go out there and hit that quarterback. <laughs> you know, like there's going to be a learning curve, but that to me is a little different than okay, Robbie, you got to learn the entire route tree and we play on Thursday. Yeah, you, you're just limited in what you can do with him. Now they need him to make an impact. I would say like this week. And by the way, Robbie, we want you to run the route this way. Here, yeah, not the way you're you you're accustomed to running the route in Carolina. We want you to run it this way. No, no, no. You know what? Obvious. You're hot. Isn't you're not hot on this. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just it, it 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 can get very very difficult right there, especially at the wide receiver position. It's one of the reasons why Basin Onions you never or not never you 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 rarely see a wide receiver drafted come in and make a huge difference like. Um, we've seen some guys do. There's been a few. Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase playing with his college quarterback probably helped a little bit. I mean, it's a different offense. But different still, offense, yeah. but still, you rarely see a wide receiver come in and just right from the very beginning dominate. So, Robbie, come in here and, and do this and do that. And by the way, we do things differently here. And also, Robbie, uh, we don't get the plays in on time, so there's going to be a lot of delay of games. That's <sighs> that's where I believe, that's where my frustration with this team is, Wolf. But uh, you and I were talking about this, and, and it, it's, it's very obvious. The fan frustration with this team this season, okay, yeah, some of it's three and five, and they've underachieved. That's some of it. Some of it, I would say the, the main source of my frustration with this team would be get out of your own way, just get the, the play in and run a play. I mean, you're doing, you're, you're hurting yourself before the other team can even do anything to you. It doesn't matter who your opponent is. But I think if we're being honest with ourselves, there's a good chunk of the Cardinals fan base that was already frustrated with this team before the first game. Yeah. And it was like, okay, we'll see what they do against the Chiefs, but we're going to flip. And obviously that Chiefs game was horrendous. So where do you think this is coming from? Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, anger. You, we're seeing a lot of anger from Cardinal fans and not apathy. And I think that is a good thing that, right there. It's better, but eventually it'll turn into apathy if you're not careful. Sure. But yeah. right now, it, it's anger. And you felt it. I felt it. We've talked about it. I think most of the people in the the city walking around, you felt it out on the street as well. Every other Monday. Monday sucks right now. Yeah. It just seems isn't fun right now. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think so much of that anger is because they have underachieved. And, I mean, think about it. Think about expectation. In your own life, you've got an expectation for your kids. Maybe you're a dad out there, a mom out there, right? You're parenting. And you've got an expectation for your kids. 
and they fall below that expectation, how much that hurts, how much it does. Especially football, man. Football is an emotional game. It is an emotional game to play, and it's an emotional game to follow. And I think a lot of fans had an expectation of what they were going to see, especially after you paid Kyler Murray $230 million. There was an expectation of the offense, and I I thought this offense was going to go out and absolutely light it up. See, you just hit what I think the, a lot of the frustration is. For that was fans. my expectation, and they have performed below that expectation. And that is painful. And that's why there's so much anger, I think, that is out there. See, if, it's, if it is, I don't want to say just that, but if it, if it really, if that's it, there is at least a path out of it. It may not look very likely right now, but if they rattled off four straight wins, then a lot of that would dissipate because what you're saying is they're underachieving. Well, if they went out there and won four straight, which really shouldn't be the most difficult thing in the world. Just start with two. Well, yeah, two would be Can nice. Go with two? How about just beat I'm Seattle? Just, honestly, right now, Seattle, you're right. You're right. Beat Seattle. How about just score in the first quarter? Oh, I mean, obviously the bar has been lower. My goodness. But just, man. If, if, if what you're saying is all or at least most of it, then you can turn this around. My bigger fear for the, for it's not all the fan base. We're obviously talking about a lot of different people, but I think a lot of the frustration and I, and I'm basing this on the fact that it was coming into the season is what you just kind of touched on. You've committed to Kyler Murray, you've committed to Cliff Kingsbury and you've committed to Steve Kime. So there is this sense every week where everything is so heightened. Everything that ha- whatever happens this Sunday yeah. is what's going to happen for the next five years. Yeah. That's that's how people feel, and I, <laughs> I will tell you, I don't totally disagree with with that. I just there's some nuance to it, but I, I get the frustration of you just committed to your GM, your coach, and your quarterback for a long time. Yeah. You probably had very little choice with your quarterback. You did take him number one overall, and. I don't know what else you could have done. You didn't have to announce a five-year extension with your coach. You and I were on the air. Either I don't know if it was right when that happened or like 10 minutes after it happened. And we both kind of looked at each other like, this is interesting. Yeah, yes, absolutely. That's where I think the frustration is with Cardinals fans is you feel like whatever they do wrong, you're stuck with for the next half decade. Yeah. You know. It's a weird spot. For me, once again, speaking of weird spots, I think Phoenix is kind of weird. I think Phoenix, Arizona is kind of weird. We are living in the middle of a desert. Stop and think about it, brothers. Uh, How many people actually come here from other places? Would you say there's a lot of people that come to Phoenix? Ask me when I'm driving to work. Uh, How many people show up in October that don't have to put up with the weather in July? Okay, but but even that, I I think there's a lot of people that move here and stay here year-round that are from somewhere else. Yes. It is a melting pot of the into, and I, I think we'd all agree that fans come here and they bring a lot of their loyalties mm-hmm. from their original city, wherever that may be. I think the only team of the four major ones in this city that doesn't deal with that is the Suns. I think you're right about that, but then again, that's you want to talk about a homegrown franchise right there, right? Um, But to me, again, there's so many people from so many other areas, and they come here, and yeah, they want to be Cardinal fans. They want to be Coyote fans. They want to be, they want to support the local teams. They want to be Diamondback fans, yet at the same time, 
Uh, there's my loyalty. My loyalty's back in Chicago. Yeah. My loyalty is back in Philadelphia. My loyalty's back in Pittsburgh. When the Steelers come out here, oh my goodness. You can see it. Yet they want to go to NFL games. They want to support the Arizona Cardinals because they're local here. That's my second team. I cannot tell you how many people tell me that. Oh man, I, I root for the Steelers number one, but man, the, my Cardinals, that's my second team. That's right. I- I think there's a lot of what it is. And I think a lot of the time, too, because of that disconnect, there's real anger when when um, they don't want to support the team anymore. I think they're much it's much um, it's a bandwagon that suddenly fans are jumping off even quicker than what is normal. There are a lot of uh, fans and it's not even like a crazy thing to think. It's not like, oh, you're a terrible fan. It's like, OK, yeah, I, I you know, you grow up in New York. How about Philadelphia? We'll use Philadelphia as an example because they played Philadelphia at home this year. OK. Uh, you know, big Eagles fan, but, uh, you know, I've, I've been in, in Phoenix for the last 20 years. So yeah, I like the Cardinals. I watch the Cardinals every week. I'm, I'm invested in the Cardinals, just not when they play the Eagles. But I'm going to only show up to the game when the Eagles are here because the Eagles aren't here very often. So I may be a Cardinals fan, but the one yeah. time you see me at a game, right. I'm wearing an Eagles jersey. Or, you know what, if the Cardinals are really, really good, I'm going to jump on that bandwagon. And that's what they yeah. do. They've got a lot of bandwagon fans. I think you I think you have to be, you have to lean into that in this city if you are the Cardinals, the Diamondbacks, or the Coyotes. You need to win over fans and you need to win over the next generation of fans whose parents are from Chicago, but the kid grew up in Phoenix. Okay, you got to win them over. But what's tough is you then got to keep them. That's what the Cardinals, and they're not the only team, but that's what the Cardinals don't have the benefit of. If the Bears are bad or the Eagles are bad, those fans aren't going anywhere because it's they've been invested in them for yep. generations. Uh, all right, when we come back, the Phoenix Suns taking on Minnesota tonight. Your three biggest developments with the Suns this season so far. Suns three pointer is next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Shazam! Suns three pointer with Wolf and Luke. Wolf, it's time for a Suns three pointer. You ready to get going? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. You go first. Wemo! Devin Booker and one. Okay, today's theme, three three things that have stood out to you the most about this sun season. Three developments that have stood out, Wolf. So go back two weeks, season's about to begin. Okay, what in your mind has changed since the opener against Dallas? So I'll give you my first one, okay? Okay, here we go. The evolution of Jock Landale and the fact that he was an unknown coming into this season. I like the fact that the Suns lost a preseason game to a team from Australia, but then apparently took all of Australia's powers into the form of Jock Landale, and he's a difference maker, and they really need him right now with no DA. So Jock Landale might be the the best development of this early season for the Suns. Okay, uh, I would have to say my first point of Suns three-pointer is Devin Booker. Devin Booker is the best player on this team and their MVP. And it was weird because last year, I we all knew Devin Booker was still the best player on this team, but Chris Paul may have been their MVP, and I believe that was the case. This year, I think Devin Booker has ascended to a whole new level. He's flexing his superstar muscle so far this season, and yet he doesn't seem to be forcing anything. 
This is Book's team, and I think his teammates are supporting him in this endeavor. That's my first point of Sun's three-pointer. Played back 14-footer is two points. Dynamite. I'll just add, and I don't disagree with anything you just said, Wolf, but uh, except in the eyes of Vegas where he is 42-1 to to win MVP. (laughs) I'm pretty. I feel like he was like at like fifteen to one last year. So how was he forty two to one this year? Just say it. There's fourteen other guys in front of him. I should. I, I'm going to pull up that list later in the show. I, I'll pull up. Like Pascal Siakam was on the list ahead of Devin Booker. <laughs> Pascal Siakam's a good player. I'm pretty sure he's not going to win MVP this year. And I'm not even saying Devin Booker's going to win MVP because as long as Giannis and Luca are out there, I, I get that they're going to get the votes. But man, he's a lot better chance than 42 to 1. All right, my second uh, point of Suns three-pointer is how the Suns are using Chris Paul. 15 assists the other night. He's still he's still a, a huge part of this team. I agree with what you just said. Last year he was actually kind of their MVP even though Booker was the better player. But you saw it even in the playoffs. When Chris Paul went off against New Orleans, the Suns advanced. When Chris Paul disappeared against Dallas, they were done. This year, they're becoming a little less reliant on Chris Paul, at least during the regular season. And we find out on Sunday night from Chris Paul, it's by design. And I got to tell you, Wolf, I really like that. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. Um, Save it for the playoffs. Here we go. My second point of Suns three-pointer is the bench. Oh, my goodness, the bench. The bench has performed really, really well. And this is a super big surprise to me. Surprise! Jock Landell, Busy, Damian Lee, Landry Shamit, Campaign. Man, these guys have gone out and are holding up their end of the bargain, lighting the lamp for Monty Williams. And this was something that the Suns needed to happen. And I know it's early. And it is, and you've got to be careful. And injuries do happen. But I love the gelling that I'm seeing from the second unit. And that's my second point of Suns three-pointer. Three-pointer, Shazam! That's just showing off right there. Right. All right, Wolf, my uh, my third point for Suns three-pointer is uh, I like this new, no-nonsense Monty Williams. He'll sit Chris Paul at the end of the opener against Dallas, get a win. Sit DA at the end of, uh, what game was that? Against um, uh, Golden State? Oh, just, it hasn't yes. really been that many games yet. Yeah, yes. And look, he's in foul trouble, but he didn't have six fouls. He hadn't fouled out. This this new approach, and now looking back, we even saw it in the offseason during camp where he's like, yeah, look, I'm not, you know, no no special treatment for anybody on this team. Not, I don't need to coddle DeAndre Ayton. And to be fair, I don't, DA, I think, has responded pretty well to yeah. that. Uh, but this, this just, it's another part of the Suns looking at how last season ended and saying we won 64 games and that wasn't good enough. We can't do it quite the same way. And I, I admire that they are not... You don't want to fix what isn't broken, but you do need to change some things. Otherwise, you're going to have a great regular season and bow out in the first round or second round again. Okay. You know what? I'm going to make that my son's fourth pointer right there, okay? <laughs> because that was really good. A foul on the I, three? I wish, yeah, I wish I, I would have thought of Monty Williams. I did not. Okay, my third point of son's three-pointer is Jock Landell, man. Yeah, let's get specific about that bench. Jock Landell has changed my expectation for the Phoenix Suns bench. 
watch this guy play, watch him closely, you'll come to the conclusion that he is smart. You can see it. He uses his brain when he competes. He's smart. He's physical. He enjoys playing defense. And he isn't afraid to shoot the ball. This is exactly what the Suns needed off the bench, and he's delivering right now. I realize it's a small sample size, but Jock Landell, he just found gold. That's my third point of Suns three-pointer. See the shots that I took, wet like a boat. Jock Landale, more uh, more popular than Glendale, Scottsdale, or Avondale yet? <laughs> I asked that at okay, the start of the season. Did, did, sir, did you rip that off somebody? No, no, did I, you I, see that I, on social I, media? No, I, well, I, I put it on social okay, media like was, two weeks oh, ago. But, he, but he wasn't the player he is now. I think he's. I've, we're at the point now where we might have to rename one of these. One of these Dales, Landale. Man, um, he he looks so good. He's physical too. Do you watch him play? You know, honestly, Wolf. Part of the reason I'm so confident in him when I watch him play is that the Suns were so confident in him before he ever even played. Here, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you see what he's doing. You're right. He he is a different dynamic from, like, I'm very interested to from see. From VA. Yeah, just say I, it. I know. I didn't want to say it and upset all the DA fans. It, but I like DA, truth. too. But he's a different dynamic than DA, which is good. You got both sides of it there. Um, I want to see how him and, and Biombo do tonight, though, against a team with Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. Because Minnesota went all in on having some size up front. Yeah, they did. Rudy Gobert. Um, yeah, cannot wait to see that. Jock Landale, 255. Put it on him, Jock. Australia versus France tonight? Why not? Yeah, I, I like get that. crazy. Australia versus France. It's kind of like the World Cup. It is. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. All right, when we come back, if you still believe the Cardinals can turn this season around, it's pretty much now or never. We'll explain next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Show on a Tuesday afternoon here, and we're sort of. I'm I'm more than willing, Wolf, to just go ahead and turn the page on the loss to the Vikings and just start moving forward a little bit earlier than we usually do to the game that's coming up against Seattle. Yeah, turn the page. Um, you might want to turn up the heat too, as well. Yeah, what, how is it? I thought like, you I thought you did turn the heat up. You said right now, wherever you are, based on onions, you have no idea, man. <laughs> I mean, you look out; it's kind of gray outside, yeah, a little you know, chilly. A little, There's no nice doubt out. about that. But right here in the auction studio, I'm telling you right now, it's got to be 42 degrees. I, I I am wearing a sport coat and I'm cold. <laughs> And, and I didn't notice it until like 20 minutes ago. You pointed out, hey, it's really cold in here. Oh, man. And now there's like Oh, you're going to blame it on me like well, I'm yeah. soft or I, something I, I, mentally, like that. Mentally, I was so focused. No, Even it's freezing. I, I have totally turned into a <laughs> piece of custard. Here, you talk um, about custard things. I'm going to go try I, and fix the honestly, thermostat. Honestly, right now, what are we doing in this beautiful part of the program, though? That's the question that I'll ask you before okay, well, you go fix it. We are looking ahead to these next three weeks for the Arizona Cardinals. And I want to play this clip here. Here from Rondale Moore. He was asked about it uh, yesterday. The next three weeks, you've got the Seahawks, you've got the Rams, you've got the 49ers. That 49ers game is in Mexico City, and then it's Thanksgiving. Are you still going to be in it when Thanksgiving rolls around? Because 
to me, and I think you agree, Wolf, you got to win at least two of the next three to have any real shot. Here's Rondale Moore. Again, um, just trying to stay focused on uh, the task at hand. And for us, that's Seattle coming up. So obviously this is a, again, divisional game. So you want to win this one. Um, so go back and watch the tape from the last game. Um, we'll watch our tape from last night and get the mistakes fixed. And again, just continue to grow, get better. Um, try to go execute and win a ball game. That's exactly the attitude you ought to have for a player. That is it right there. You don't even want to talk about, hey, you know what, Ron? You've got this three-game window. You've got this point of the season that could change your season. What do you think about that? Um, Are you kidding me? We're only thinking of Seattle, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, I, as a player, you couldn't answer the question any better than Rondale just did right there. But as a coach, you do have to look at this as somebody that is going to strategize. You do have to be capable of looking at this three game window that you have and getting up in front of your team and being able to sell what those three games could mean to the entire season. Everybody knows it for the most part. I think this is what a head coach has got to do. Frame things up for his team. You talk to the media as a player. That's what you're going to do, man. You're going to say, wait, listen, we're, we're keeping our focus on one team and one team only. And that's the Seattle Seahawks. And that is the approach you've got to take. But when a coach gets up in front of a team, he'll speak a lot more strategically. Right? He'll talk about the what has to happen in the window that you have open. He'll do that, of course. You still have to focus tactically on the week at hand. But coaches will talk strategically from time to time to a team. And that's what I think Cliff has done. I think he's probably done it because he answered the question when we asked him yeah. that question. He spoke about this window we, of opportunity we, that was we, there. We did ask him if if he, you know, do you do you hide not hide from that, but do you just pretend it's not there and just say, you know, basically what Rondale just said, we got the Seahawks coming up. And I get it. Like you said, as a player, you can't be looking ahead to San Francisco in three weeks. But as a coach, how do you handle this? I remember when uh, you know when Dave Tippett used to be the coach of the Coyotes, he would break at the 82-game season into 10-game segments, and all the players knew it, and they would get grades after 10 games. And it was, and, you know, it's a long season, 82 games. For the Cardinals right now, if the Cardinals were 6-2, and two, then yeah, I'm not really focused on the next three games. I'm just focused on Seattle. But they're not 6-2. and two. They're 3-5. and five. To a lot of people, it feels like the season is over. So I can hear people in their cars right now screaming, that's because it is over. Maybe, but <laughs> as a head coach, you're looking and saying, here's a chance to hit reset for a second, whether it works or not. The next three games are your season. And you're right. When we talked to Cliff yesterday, we asked him if he if he addresses that with his team. No doubt. I mean, they, they know what's what's coming, and, and when you, it lines up like it does, and you have a chance, if, if you were to run the table, you'd know you'd have at least a piece of first place, basically. Um, that's that's a lot to put out there. And, and uh, to get Seattle at home, uh, they just beat us a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, played a great game. They're playing at a high level. Our guys will be keyed up for it and, and know that you know, we don't have a lot of wiggle room left. We got to play at a high level in a hurry, and hopefully that's uh, that's a Sunday. That was to us. He was speaking. Yeah. Was he not? Yeah. He also addressed it in a press conference, yep, right? Yep. 
Yeah, I have. I think if you look at it, um, you know, if you, you are able to win all three, there's an opportunity to be right there, at least have a piece of first place at the end of this deal. And our guys understand after uh, starting the way we did, that that's a great uh, carrot out in front of you. So let's take it one week at a time and, and try to get better. There it is right there. That is, that's, that's the answer. You got to tell the truth. You got to get up there in front of your team and you got to tell them. We have an opportunity right here over the next three, three weeks. The next three weeks could make us and make this season or break us. Sometimes you got to, you got to draw that metaphorical line in the sand for your team as a head coach. Tell them the truth. And that is the truth. And I think that's what he's alluding to right there. Yeah, it's one game at a time from a player's perspective. You don't have time to think about it. Yes, big picture during the week, you can think about it. But for the most part, man, you're you're looking at your opponent and what you can do to beat your opponent. But um, framing the season up and chunks of the season up for a football team, that's part of what a head coach does. Yeah, and, and again, I really think it's important for a team – like at three and five, if the Cardinals were in the NFC East right now at three and five, they might be done. They'd be in last and they'd be way behind the Giants and the Eagles and the Cowboys. But they are in a division that allows them to still be in it. They're three and five. If they just beat Seattle on Sunday, whatever you think of how the Cardinals have gotten to this point, if you just beat Seattle, you're a game out of first in the division. Yeah. Now, they need to actually beat Seattle. You can't talk about doing it and then lose and be like, well, if we just win our next three, we're back. No, you actually have to win the game. But. They're 0-2 in this division, Wolf. They lost to the Rams. They lost to the Seahawks. So there's no way the next three games don't define their season. Because if they go 1-2 and in those three games, aside from the fact everybody in the division will start to pull away from them, they'll also be 1-4 and in the division. They yeah. have to win these games. If they do, though, they're, they are going to be not just back in it, maybe tied for first going into Thanksgiving. The key is if you're trying to look for a silver lining here to these games— You've lost to the Seahawks, and you've lost to the Rams. Your defense played well enough in both those games. You should have won both those games. You didn't have DeAndre Hopkins for either one of them, and you didn't have Prater for the Seahawks game. So these are two beatable teams coming up. It would it would at least appear they're beatable teams. Yeah, you know, I, let me just say this. Um, uh, I think everything you said, I, I think you're right on that, Luke. Yet at the same time, all I can think of is the the sense of urgency these next three games bring. When you're three and five right now, um, the sense of urgency of playing your three division foes in a row, Seattle at L.A., and then Mexico City on Monday night, here's the 49ers. Three division games in a row. The urgency that this is going to bring to the locker room and hopefully bring to the field. At some point in time, you're going to score a touchdown in the first quarter. (laughs) You you could even score two. You'd love to see the Arizona Cardinals come out and this sense of urgency with their backs to the wall against the Seattle Seahawks at home. Do you think there's going to be a lot of Seattle Seahawks fans there? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, you know what there are. The 12s are going to show up because dudes are going to sell their tickets. That's what's going to happen. And they're going to make money, and that's their right. It's their prerogative to do it. I'm not going to tell anybody what to do with their wallet and the cash that's in it. You do what you want. But just don't walk around and say you're the biggest Cardinal fan in the history of mankind, okay? Don't do that if you're doing it, selling your tickets. To the opponent. Yet at the same time, this Seattle game is huge. Back to the wall. 
I hope to see the urgency that that will create. Not only Seattle, who beat you, not only being at home, back to the wall knowing you got three division games in front of you that could change your entire season. The urgency that I feel just even saying that should be felt inside that locker room, offensively, defensively, and with special teams. You would think, like if it were me, if I were a player on this team, I'd walk out on the field, State Farm Stadium on Sunday. First of all, if I were walking on the field for this team, we're in trouble on Sunday. Yeah, oh boy. But if I'm walking out there, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, okay, there's Seahawks fans in my stadium. You could be Holder. (laughs) Hold it. (laughs) I don't I, snap the ball. Catch. That, you got good hands. I, don't I, you? I guess I could hold. Okay, hopefully yeah. now. Hopefully we're not talking on Monday like you should have been holding. Like something <laughs> went wrong on a kick. Um, yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe I'm out there holding on Sunday. Um, not holding like Trey See, McBride, but holding. That's on the more snap. than what I could do. I mean, I couldn't even hold. No, we could let you point. lose. You, you you could make a tackle on special teams. No, I feel like no. You probably, maybe you shouldn't, but you, you could. You know, if I tried to do anything with intent, like run anywhere, man, my hamstring would. Fly out my nostril or something. <laughs> well, you should get that looked at if that happens. Uh, I, if I were walking out on that field as a player on this team, I would be looking around thinking, okay, there's Seahawks fans in my stadium. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. across the field at a team that has less than us and is doing more with it, talent-wise. Angry. They should be behind us. They embarrassed us a couple weeks ago by holding us to nine points. Angry. They shouldn't even be that good of a team. This game, more than any other one, this is the team that Hollywood Brown got hurt against. It wasn't a dirty play, but that Seahawks game was by far the worst game of the season. Angry. That was a game you should have won, and you lost one of the few bright spots on offense right at the end of the game when it was basically already over anyway. If nothing else, they should have that sense of urgency you're talking about to at least beat the Seahawks. It's like when Quasimodo threw Dom Claude Frollo. <laughs> Threw him off the tower. He threw Jean-Claude that Van Damme was, off a tower? Was, <laughs> oh, is that not what you said? No, that's oh. not what I said. Okay. Uh, all right, when we come back, the NFL trade deadline has come and gone, and a flurry of big names are on the move. We'll get you caught up with all of it next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.